Hey guys, I've got the got the podium. You don't need to, you know, with the Bible and everything. Really, I got it. Okay, so uh, thank you. Good morning. I hope uh, each of you had a very blessed Christmas and got to spend some time with your loved ones. And the joy and the happiness and the love that you had in your heart last Monday is still uh, overflowing even today as we are right now into the last year or the last day uh, of this year, 2023. I want to tell you, you guys did great for Christmas, okay? Because for two years in a row, I did not get any fruitcakes. Any, does anybody eat fruitcake? Two, three, four people out of this whole crowd eats fruitcakes. I know the birds in the backyard do love it, so it doesn't go to waste. Well, as we wind down 2023 and we look forward to a new year, I believe it's important for us to look at where we've been this past year and really ask ourselves some hard questions. Have you grown in your faith in your commitment to the Lord this year? Have you loved more? Have you served more? Because we should not be the same people today at the end of 2023 as we were at the beginning of 2023. And if you can't say that you've grown and you become deeper in your faith and your walk with the Lord, that you're not the, the same person, then it's time for you to get serious this year about your faith. And it's time to get sold out. I'm going to stop right here and kind of do a little infomercial. I believe one of the best ways to help you grow spiritually is to get involved in one of our growth groups, in one of our small groups. You will learn to love people. You will dive into the scripture and you'll study together. You will share together with each other and you'll become a, a family. Because as our church becomes bigger, we have got to become smaller, and we do that by small groups. So if you have not got plugged into one of our small groups, you can simply open up, not during the sermon time, but later, okay? Don't want you distracted. Go to our church app, and you can open up, and it says connect. Punch on that in groups, and you scroll down there, and you can sign up, and that will come to me. And I will make sure you get placed in a group. And you begin this new year in a group and, and really help, I think, catapult you as far as your, your growth and your walk with the Lord. Well, Christianity, I believe, has always been a very dramatically different lifestyle. It's not for the faint of heart. And in fact, the world today is going to call Christianity a radical lifestyle. And I think the world is trying to almost view Christians as kind of like a modern-day Brady Bunch. You know, uh, Mike and Carol Brady. Do you remember? They were the perfect couple. Never yelled at their kids. You never saw them angry. They never cheated anybody. They, they never made poor decisions. They were model citizens. And I think that is what the world kind of is trying to say that Christianity is like. But I want to tell you, Christian, 
it's not about being a model citizen. It's not about playing it safe. It's about living a life that is so foreign to this world that they they don't even have a clue. They don't understand what Christianity is about. And when you get serious about your faith, you need to be prepared to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be laughed at, to be called intolerant. And Jesus even said, you will be hated on account of me. So I just want to tell you, be prepared. Jesus said this was going to happen. And honestly, right now, I think it's kind of discouraging these times we live in because it, it, it appears evil is winning right now, doesn't it? You open up the, uh, any newspaper, if you, if you still get the, the actual newspaper or maybe you read it online or flip on the news, it's all bad, bad stuff that's happening. And it appears that evil is winning. But I want to tell you right now, it's not the time to, to, to get on board with that. It's not the time to jump ship off of Christianity. In fact, it's the time to buckle in. Because if you read the end of the book, we win. So I want you to hang on. I want to encourage you. Choose to be on the winning side. For the last 80 years or so, Time Magazine has had a Man of the Year award. Okay? Man of the Year award. Now, recently, they have changed that to the Person of the Year because apparently people can't figure out this whole gender thing. But so they've changed it to the Person of the Year, and they've recognized the person that has had the greatest global impact on our society the previous year. Most of our presidents have been on that list. So has Elon Musk, the Pope. And I really find this very comical because I went back and looked at some of the previous winners. Vladimir Putin was the person of the year. Guess last year who was the uh, the person of the year? The president of Ukraine, Vladimir, uh, hold on a second, Zelensky. Okay, President Zelensky. So these two guys who were persons of the year are at war with each other, killing thousands of their own people. Well, this year, it's Taylor Swift. Any Swifties out there? I'm, you know, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and since Taylor Swift entered the scene, it's not been pretty. So I'm, I'm not giving her the Person of the Year award. In the year 2000, when they came up with the person of the century, they decided they would, Time Magazine would recognize the person who has had the greatest impact in the last hundred years on the United States, or, or, or worldwide even. And do you know who it was? It was Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. So it made me think, what about the greatest person of all time? Who would that be? Any idea? You know, I could come up with a pretty good list. The very greatest person of all time, I think, at the top of the list would be Jesus. Then we've got, you know, some other pretty good people, Moses, Abraham, most of the apostles, King David. Well, who was the greatest person who ever lived? Well, according to Jesus, and I think he's a pretty good authority on this, 
He said the greatest person who ever lived was John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11, 11, he said, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. The greatest person who's ever lived, regardless of, of what Time magazine may say, the greatest person, according to Jesus, who was ever born of a woman, was John the Baptist. Let's look at him. Open up to Mark chapter 1. Beginning with verse 4, and I want to tell you, John the Baptist was truly an amazing person. Verse 4 says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After comes me, the one who's more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. You see, before Jesus began his ministry, John the Baptist was preaching in the Judean countryside. And he challenged people to repent of their sin and to be baptized. And the fact that he was challenging people to be baptized was very unique because when Gentiles converted to Judaism, when they renounced their, their pagan faith and they converted to Judaism to follow after God, they went through a ceremonial baptism. And this showed that they were leaving their old lifestyle, their old religious culture, and they were now following after God. But John was not preaching to a bunch of Gentiles. He was preaching to Jews. So he was saying, you know, being Jewish isn't enough. You have to repent of your sin, give your heart completely to God. That means you've got to get sold out. A little bit radical, drastically different. You've got to be way different. And you've got to repent of your sins and you've got to follow after God. And listen, thousands of people came out to the desert to hear John preach. And many of these people confessed their sins and were baptized. You see, John, in every sense of the word, was radical. He had some very unconventional methods of lifestyle and preaching and teaching. Now, dads, if you've got a daughter, this is probably not the type of guy that you would hope that your daughter would bring home and say, this is who I've decided to marry. Because he was different. He was radical. Very unconventional. Mark says in verse 6 that he wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his 
waste and he ate locusts and wild hungry. That's not your Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet, is it? You, but in John the Baptist, we see a model, kind of a, a, an example, like a prototype of what God expects us to be as Christians. Because John was sold out. He was on fire, totally 100% committed to God. Three things that I want us to, to see this morning from the life of, of John the Baptist that we can kind of model after. First is we have to recognize that we have a higher calling. Recognize that you have a higher calling. You see in verse 2 and 3, if we go back and, and read the verses before the passage I read, hundreds of years before John the Baptist, Isaiah the prophet said this. He said, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. You see, John knew he had a message to tell, and his message and his purpose in life was to prepare people for a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Friends, I want to tell you something. We've got that same obligation. We have got that same responsibility is to prepare people that we come into contact with, this world around us, all the people we have influence with, to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And yes, sometimes that includes calling people into repentance and encouraging them that God's forgiveness is available to them. Because that's what John's message was all about. It was all about repentance and forgiveness. He challenged people to repent, and he promised God's forgiveness. And I believe in our churches today, we have quit preaching on sin and repentance because people don't want to hear that. Sin is a very ugly word, isn't it? Nobody wants to say, yeah, I, I, I've sinned. In fact, we will do anything we can to keep from saying we've sinned. We'll say, you know, I slipped up. I messed up. Made a poor choice. Did something. I made a mistake here, you know. For, I, no, what you did was you sinned. And sin breaks the heart of God. Parents, you know this, that there's nothing that will hurt your heart more than when your kids are disobedient, disrespectful, rebellious, and they make poor choices. It hurts your heart, doesn't it? It breaks your heart. Now magnify that a hundred or a thousand times and imagine how God feels when we make choices, when we disobey, when we rebel... You see, if we fail to repent of our sin in our life, it ultimately will destroy us. And I might add, it has some eternal consequences as well. So we need to tell the truth about sin and repentance. And simply feeling guilty is not repentance. Being sorry that you've got caught doing something is not repentance. Repentance is an about face. It's a decision that you make to stop moving in one direction. And you make an about face and you turn and go in the other direction. That's what repentance is all about. In fact, the Greek word that is translated repentance means you literally change your, your mind. 
So when you repent, you change the way you think. And when you change the way you think, guess what? It's going to change the way that you live. It means you stop going in this direction and you make an about face and you turn and you go in the opposite direction. But we view repentance as a very negative experience, but friends, it's not. When you repent, when you turn away from those things that are destroying your life, and they will, and you turn towards the one who has promised that he will forgive your sins and restore and rebuild your life, it's not a negative thing. In fact, it's a very positive thing. And that's where the message of forgiveness has to come in. You know, when someone's ruined their life with sin, the last thing they need for you to do is rub their nose in it, so to speak. See, I told you, don't blame me. Don't come crying to me when this all comes back to bite you. You know, you had it coming. They already know they've messed up. What they need to hear is the second part of, of John's message was forgiveness is available. Yeah, you blew it, but guess what? There's forgiveness. Not only forgiveness, but God can restore and create new. And you can begin again new. And you don't have to dwell in this past, in this misery of guilt. You can start new. That's the message people need to hear. That God can give you a fresh start. You see, we have a higher calling. And our message is not any different than John's message was. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses it and renounces them, in other words, you repent, they find mercy. So we have to realize we have a higher calling. Just as John had a higher calling, his higher calling was to point people to Jesus and prepare them for a personal encounter. Second thing is we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Hold yourself to a higher standard. You see, John lived a very different lifestyle. He lived out in the desert, wore clothing that he had made himself from probably a camel that he had skinned himself. He ate locust and wild honey, but he didn't say, you've got to go do this yourself. He didn't expect anybody else that had to do this. He didn't say, if you want to become a follower of God, you've got to become a desert monk just like me. You see, that was a standard that he set for himself, and he didn't inflict that on other people. He didn't say, this is the way you have to do it. So, I don't know about you, but I questioned why. Why did he do this? Why did he live such a different lifestyle than everybody else? The reason is really simple, that when he held himself to a higher standard... It gave his message more credibility. Friends, I want to tell you something. When our words and our life don't match, we lose credibility. When we go to tell somebody else the hope and the love and the forgiveness that they can find in Jesus and the lifestyle that we can point them to and our words are not matching our life, we have lost credibility. Three ways that we can hold ourselves to a higher standard, just like John the Baptist did, is first is to be willing to sacrifice comfort. 
You see, John chose to live in the desert and to sleep in a cave. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He could have taken up a couple of love offerings and relocated his ministry somewhere else and probably had a very nice office building, made a comfortable home for himself. But John knew that his mission in life was not creating an easy existence for himself, but it was all about introducing people to the Messiah, preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm told that Sam Walton, he's the founder of a Walton or Walmart stores, you know, they're, they're kind of everywhere now. But I'm told after he became very wealthy, Sam Walton continued to drive his old pickup truck, wear his old blue jeans, lived a very plain, simple lifestyle. Why would he do that? I mean, certainly he could have gone to the store and bought any kind of a clothing outfit that he wanted, just got it off the shelf. Hey, put it on my tab. Got him a new pickup, but he chose not to because he wanted to set an example for his employees. Because he thought, what would they be thinking if I drove up in a big, fancy new vehicle, all these fancy clothes, they're probably not going to be very inspired to work hard. They'd think, why should we break our backs to... Make this guy live like a king. So he continued to live a very moderate, modest lifestyle. Second thing is to put a lid on materialism. You see, in John the Baptist day, the, the priest wore very lavish robes, and they dressed, you know, very eloquently. John decided that he wasn't going to follow that pattern. In fact, he was going to wear this homemade garment, and he was going to be completely different. He wasn't going to be confused with those guys. And you see, too often we're going to use our clothes and our possessions to impress people in order to create this image of success. You see, John the Baptist wasn't concerned about his appearances. Instead, he was more concerned about introducing people to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you have to get rid of all your possessions because there are sometimes people equate poverty with spirituality and they don't go hand in hand, okay? Some people think that if you take this vow of poverty that that automatically means you're more spiritual. God's blessings are wonderful things and we can't, we can't decide to say, hey, no, 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 no. I'm not going to receive God's blessings because he gives them to us. But I am suggesting that you reevaluate your attitude towards material possessions and look for ways in which you can hold yourself to a higher standing just as John the Baptist did. Third thing is starve your appetite. Hmm, I wonder if there'll be anybody here make any New Year's goals or resolutions about their appetites and their eating habits this coming year. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with a good meal. Nothing. But there's nothing also inherently spiritual about eating locust and honey. Now, if you're wondering about eating locust, it was on the approved list of food Found in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 22, it, it talked about grasshoppers and locusts were approved to eat. So if you're challenged and, and motivated to go eat locusts, knock yourself out. 
Dip them in chocolate, hot sauce, whatever you want to do. Maybe ranch. Everybody dips their stuff in ranch these days. Okay? And, and I've heard people say, well, they weren't the same locusts that we have today. You know, grasshoppers and locusts have been around for a long time since God created them. And I think when he created a grasshopper and a locust are the same species that we have today. And he said it's okay to eat them. So I'm just throwing that out there. But John the Baptist chose this very simple diet because he wanted to control his appetites rather than allow his appetites to control him. And I want to tell you, friends, there is great power in spiritual discipline. There's power in the ability to, to deny yourself something that you really, really want, that you really don't need. And there's also power in requiring yourself to do some things that you really don't want to do. People that love to, well, the people that go run, I'm not going to say they love to, they always feel better after they've gone and ran or exercised. Something that you've denied yourself that you really want and you said, no, I really don't need this and you said no to it, you're always going to feel better later about it. So there's power in that, in self-discipline. I have a friend that used to drink about a dozen Diet Cokes a day. And he decided that this indicated personal weakness and he vowed to give them up. Now, I want to tell you, there's nothing sinful about drinking Diet Cokes. But there is power in the ability to say no to an appetite that I'm not going to be controlled by this. I th honestly believe that whoever invented Diet Coke has some addictive something in there because it is a, it's addictive, okay? I heard President Trump had a button on his desk that, for Diet Coke that every time he punched that button, they'd bring him a Diet Coke. I guess he was just addicted to him. I, I can relate because I, I like me some Diet Coke. But living a radical lifestyle means that we hold ourselves to a higher standard and we might say no to some of those things. We hold ourselves to a higher standard so we can concentrate on the purpose in which God put us here. And that is preparing people for a personal encounter with Jesus. Third thing here is we're going to see is we're going to submit to a higher authority. And John said this, after this comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Because John the Baptist was a great man and many people thought he was the Messiah, they, they wanted to almost put this title on him, that he's the Messiah. And that happens to great people all the time. People want to elevate men and women to positions or a status that they don't deserve. And for some leaders, it's more than they can handle. They want to listen to the crowd, though, and believe the hype and begin to think that they're better than anyone else. But John the Baptist refused to do that. John the Baptist kept in mind that his position and his purpose in life was secondary to that of Christ Jesus. John the Baptist realized he wasn't building his own kingdom, but he was building the kingdom of God. In John chapter 3, verse 30, it says, He must increase, I must decrease. In other words, 
all the people that came to listen to John the Baptist and the followers that he had, he realized, I'm going to lose them. They are going to leave me, and they're going to start following the one that I've been preparing the way for, and I'm okay with that. In fact, that's the way it has to be. I have to become less important. Jesus has to become more important. That's a lesson we still can learn today. And there's nothing more dangerous than people who think that they're more powerful than they are to face their own consequences. We've seen that attitude in a whole bunch of high-profile politicians, athletes, entertainers. We've seen their careers completely unraveled. A couple nights ago, I watched, or actually I re-watched the movie Ollie. It was just a few days ago, and it was late at night, and I was watching, kind of scrolling through the TV channel, and I started watching Ollie. I'd watched this years ago. Muhammad Ali uh, was a, a champion boxer. He was also a very arrogant guy. He bragged all the time that I'm the greatest. I am the greatest. In fact, he said in an interview one time to Mark McCormick that he was more famous than Jesus. Pretty bold statement there. Definitely not true. But in the ring, most of the time he was the greatest, but Joe Frazier proved to him that he wasn't the greatest. In fact, five men proved to him that he wasn't the greatest because they beat him and defeated him in the ring. Finally, he faced a, a disease called Parkinson's that ultimately defeated him and took his life. And I can tell you he was not greater than Jesus. I don't care what he wanted to say. He was not more famous or greater than Jesus. I just hope that before he died, he come to find out that Jesus is the Messiah. And he submitted himself to the Lordship. I don't know that. But you contrast that attitude with the attitude of John the Baptist, the greatest man, according to Jesus, who had ever lived, he said, there's someone more powerful than me than whose shoes I, I'm not even worthy to tie. And in fact, he has to become greater, and I have to become less. Romans 12, 3 says, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Jesus introduced a whole new radical concept in Matthew 20, verse 26. He said, whoever wants to become the greatest has to become the servant, the least. So if you want to become great, it's not about exalting yourself. It's about lowering yourself to become the servant. Friends, I want to tell you Christianity is a radical lifestyle. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the weak. It's a higher calling with a higher standard, and it's a mission to ourselves to a higher authority, and that's the Lordship of Christ. But let me tell you, the retirement, the retirement plan is out of this world, literally. So my challenge to you this New Year is to, to get serious about your walk and your, your commitment to the Lord. Get all sold completely out. Let me give you just a quick 
couple of quick suggestions as I, as I wind up here that if you're thinking, well, how do I really do that? How do I get sold out? How do I get committed on fire, totally on fire for God? Read through the Bible. Commit yourself to some daily quiet times where you get into God's Word and you allow Him to speak to you. Regular church attendance. You're an easy target when you get off by yourself. We need each other. We strengthen each other. Maintain a prayer list. You can keep it in your Bible. And it's neat to to see when those prayers are answered to write the date on there. And scratch that off and say, it's been answered. Start journaling. Really, that's what David did. He journaled his life and we sing his journals in our songs every Sunday. And did I mention that earlier, get in a small group? Get in a group that people will love you, sharpen you, yes, hold you accountable, but encourage your faith, encourage your walk with God. Ready for a sold-out, radical year with God? I hope so.